This is the EWN Podcast Network. You're listening to Dialogue with Dr. D, a podcast that inspires and empowers you to reinvent your past and revolutionize your future. Overcome adversity, fear, and feelings of failure as each episode is filled with inspirational experiences featuring professionals who can assist in your efforts. Together, we can help you find joy in your journey while positioning you toward success. Dr. D is a wonder work of personal growth and success moving beyond overwhelming and insurmountable odds to become a global speaker, life coach, and author. Dr. D uses her incredible passion and captivating personal experience to support your move beyond trials, tribulations, and adversities to emotional emancipation. You don't have to do it alone. Join Dr. D today. Move beyond what's been holding you back and become the new Empowered You. While life has dealt us some difficult blows, we are determined to stay in the game which is required for success. Hanging in there allows you to see your way forward. It positions you to overcome obstacles and pitfalls. Let's look at the early days of FedEx. The founder had to go to great lengths to keep the company afloat. In one instance, after a crucial business loan was denied, he took the company's last 5,000 to Las Vegas and won 27,000 gambling on blackjack to cover the company's $24,000 fuel bill. It kept FedEx alive for one more week. However, he stayed in the game. In his book, Decoded, he says this about his song, this can't be life and about failure. It was a verse about fear of failure, which is something that everyone goes through, but no one, particularly where I'm from, wants to really talk about it. But it's a song that a lot of people connect to, the thought that this can't be life is one that all of us have felt at some point or another. When bad decisions and bad luck and bad situations feel like too much to bear. Those times when we think that this can't be my story, but facing up to that kind of feeling can be powerful motivation to change. It was for me. The next time you start to feel down on yourself, thinking of all the ways in which the debt was stacked against you, whether it's bad parents, bad poverty, bad everything, just remember a man named Sean Carter, who turned everything around for himself and became a household name. He even got to marry Beyonce. How's that for failure, being a productive force for success? Welcome, PFAM, and a special welcome to our relatives around the globe, in particular those who are joining in for the first time. Thank you for tuning in for today's episode, as our focus is staying in the game. This means 
quitting is not an option. Joining us today is Ms. Lorette Ferris, who will share with us the benefits of staying power. And after all she has been through, she is back in the game. Ms. Ferris has a degree in accounting. She has worked on Wall Street as an investment banker. Currently, she is the CEO of iBoss Inc. iBoss Inc. provides coaching, consulting, and training for entrepreneurs. Welcome, Ms. Ferris. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Dr. D. Thank you. It is my pleasure to have you, and I cannot wait to dive into your story. PFAM, sit back, relax, get yourself something to drink because we have something for you today. Ms. Ferris, start by telling the PFAM your story of survival and how you have overcome all odds. So it is so interesting that you speak to us through this platform because I think in life, we've all gone through a couple of things. One of the biggest ones for me that stands out has to do with the time in my life when I was at the pinnacle. I was at the height of my career, of my earnings, of exposure. And it's the same time that I had my deepest crash because all of that was lost. And that really was the time that I was in investment banking. I've been through a few industries, but the one that I landed in that really resonated for me was investment banking. And as opposed to me really working my way from the bottom up and for a Black woman to have this story, I went in in middle management and rose to executive management in two to three years. When you ask any level of my journey in the staying power, the thing that when I came out of investment banking, when the crash happened for me, it really shook the confidence I had in myself. It put me in a place that I didn't have the same level of fight in me to go after the next job or the next opportunity or the next contract because I was questioning myself just because of the way that things went over those 10 years in investment banking. So again, while that was the height of a career for me, what I learned, the people that I moved with, the things that I did, the opportunities that were afforded me, it was a lifestyle that most of us dream of. But when the crash happened, it was that sort of thing that you're trying to hide behind it. And, you know, you don't want people that knew you then to know you now, (laughs) you know. And so the struggle that I had going through it truly was me hiding and trying to recreate myself all at the same time. Fast forward now. I wish I understood better what I know now then. I think I could have handled it differently because I feel I lost a lot of years in rebuilding what I could have done versus running from what I had. Ms. Ferris, to say that you spent 10 years on Wall Street as an African-American woman, a woman of color, a Black woman, How were you able to navigate 
into that typically all male, definitely mm -hmm. all white environment. So what was so interesting for me, I got into it in a, on the small firm side, right? What I mean by small, I was with two firms in the 10 years I was on Wall Street and both of them were in that $35 million range. So for Wall Street, that, that's a small firm and we were regional. Both firms, there was some level of connection. We had seven offices with both firms from Florida up to Chicago and then one office out in Denver. I was the first director of compliance the firm ever had. At its size, the vice president doubled as the director of compliance, but then it grew to a point that they needed to separate it. I was an accounting major. I was playing around with the law, going to paralegal stuff, and they felt that skill set made sense to open a compliance department. So when I first got there, I had to pass all of my brokerage tests. So I called football. I had my 7, 52, 24, hut, hut, you know. I got all of my brokerage licenses in the span of about five months. And so I think what happened initially, I was an anomaly. They hired this Black woman who came in. You told me what I needed in order to make that happen. And I did it. You know, and now before people got to know me, I took to the job immediately and the brokers saw that it, as compliance, you're basically a police officer for transactions that happen. Right. So the brokers saw if they did the right thing, I had their back and we got through it. But if they didn't, they knew I'd break the trade or whatever. And that happened. so I think I kind of snuck up on them. And before they had an opportunity to mold me into who they wanted me to be, I had already staked out my position. So I, I had a really good rep across the board. And then the executive director was so horrible. Everybody would come to me because they didn't want to go to her. So I was also a bit of a buffer. So that's sort of how I got in there. But I was such a quick study because learning and understanding how to take companies public there was so much in that, Dr. D, that I just absolutely, I reveled in it. I really took to that. And so I rose from director of compliance to chief operating officer to the CEO also in about three years. So I was running the firm in about three years. So this could be one of those situations of being in the right place at the right time. But in addition to that, taking advantage of the opportunity in front of you. Absolutely. You did everything needed. Getting those brokerage licenses in that short period of time is almost unheard of. So tell us now, we've all heard there's a dark side to Wall Street. Please elaborate on that. Rising to that height really was exhilarating. All of a sudden, I'm renting my summer houses out in the Hamptons and I'm bumping elbows with the right people and doing the right thing, you know. And then a decision had to be made at the firm. I'm going to get a little technical, but I'll try to do it in general terms. This was back in the late 90s where everything you heard about was penny stocks. So penny stocks was a big issue. 
The SEC was working at kicking firms like mine, the small broker dealers, out of the business because it's the small broker dealers that you'd mainly find would do exchanges in these penny stocks. My firm was not doing it at the time. To be a small firm, knowing that the regulators were after you, I made sure things were set up that we really always got a clean bill of health. They finally convinced me that we should trade in penny stocks. And I opened that door. Well, at the time that I opened that door, the firm also took on about 50% more of the brokers we already had. We took them on from a firm. If any of your audience has watched The Wolf of Wall Street, the brokers we took in were based on that story. And so now trying to control all of these rogue brokers internally, but as far as the regulators were concerned, you're bringing them in and now you're doing penny stock? You are definitely on our radar, okay? <laughs> Some of the brokers around us were actually criminally charged. I was the CEO of the firm. So as the CEO, my thing was, this is not my game, <laughs> you know? And so, I, you know, I spoke to all the managers and brokers of, of our branches to say, listen, if anybody wants to step up to run this firm, I will help you figure out whatever you need to do, but I'm out. And if I'm out, that means the firm closes. And that's what I did. I closed the firm. But that's what I mean by the hit on me because I went from such a high in an industry that was unknown. It was an anomaly for someone like me to be managing a $35 million brokerage firm, 300 employees and seven offices. And then all of a sudden you feel like a failure because now you have to close that firm down. It doesn't matter who did what or anything else. I'm the CEO. It was tough to get through knowing I manage a brokerage firm that really, quote unquote, was full of the dark side, the dark side of that business. So we all have negative emotions. How were you able to manage all the negative emotions that surrounded that? Because you went abruptly up and you came abruptly down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Today, I'd have to say to you, honestly, I don't know that I manage them. Today, I would tell you, I know I hid from them. Not only did I walk away from that firm, I walked away from the industry. So I put up that wall that said, I just don't want to do this anymore. Now, listen, I knew how much I enjoyed it. I knew my understanding. So I had so much right going on on that side. But inside, I sort of shut down for the industry because of my perceived failure. And so what I did is I just started nurturing other parts of what my experience allowed me to do. I'm fantastic in running an organization of seven offices and 300 employees. And that's where my focus then went to really work off of other skill sets that I was able to hone while I was doing the investment banking world stuff. Now, this must have really put you in a fear zone. 
How in the world do you stop fear from stopping you as you decide to move on to something new, something bigger, something better? Again, my honest answer would be, I, I don't know that I don't know that I had an answer to how. Because at the same time, I guess I was wrestling with my spirit also. I think that was some part of my lesson was, and you may have heard me say it a few times in this interview, I, 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 I did this, I did that, I figured this. I, and I think at some point my father sort of had to knock me down to say, it was not all about you. And so now, you know, I think that was the lesson I had to go through. I think there was a humble place that I had to deal with and the fight that I was doing to not get down there, I think just kept beating up on me more and more and more. I don't think I really dealt with the totality of what happened to me, my life, my personality for a good three years or so. And it was in those three years that things kept getting worse and worse and worse. They did not get better because again, I was running, I was hiding, I was not using the skill set that I had in order to do bigger things anymore. I had no answers. I was just moving by route. Whatever I needed to do to at least continue to stand, that's what I was doing. But I wasn't doing it in my power. When I hear you say that, anyone experiencing business upsets or business failure, there's a certain amount of hiding out that is inherent with that. Or do I run? Do I crawl under the bed and never come out? Also, you can also be faced with that ultimate situation, which we call suicide. Mm -hmm. um, people come in contact with that when they experience the kind of thing that you have had to face head on. Mm -hmm. And to hear you say it, it took three years to get beyond that, Ms. Ferris, what exactly did you do to overcome that? So again, I tried to switch gears and use my other skill sets, right? I was making big dollars in what I was doing. And so, you know, when you're making big dollars, you have big expenses. The big dollars went away. So I had to figure out how I was going to continue to cover the big expenses, with I think with most of us, and I did have a child, though my son was late teens, where he was actually going away to boarding school. I didn't have anyone around me to share what was going on. It was me, and it was just me. And so I didn't have a choice but to do things in order to keep everything afloat that I could keep afloat. And so I think that's what happens for us. The driving force is survival. So the survival skills were there and I did whatever I needed to do to pull in the next contract or, you know, things of that nature. And that was really all I could do to handle it. I've been through two divorces. 
I look at it a similar way, right? When I came out of it, all I could do to get to the next step was keep myself busy, you know? And that's really what I did. And again, um, Dr. D, that's where I say, I feel I hid behind so many things and didn't deal with what had really gotten me there for such a long time. Until it all broke down, I didn't deal with it. I just kept busy and kept moving. The positive to all of that is you stayed in the game. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want all of our peep fam to know today, that you stay in the game, you find a way out. And whether that's counseling, whether that's uh, starting over again, whether that's moving to a different area, whatever you need to do what you need to do, it's hanging in there. When we think about perception, we are bound by those perceptions. But if we change our perception, we can change our mindset. How did you manage your perception and what role did your mindset have in that? Ooh, I so totally agree with you that it is mindset and that mindset can't shift until some part of the perception of where you at shifts, right? There is one conversation I had with a gentleman and you know, they say people come into your life for a reason or a season. And I think he came into my life specifically for a reason. I was working through a particular financial transaction with a client at one point, and I was still holding back from sort of really putting out there who I am, what what I know, what I understand, how I can help you maneuver. I was still sort of hiding my skill set in that respect. But I was having the conversation with this gentleman, and he couldn't get seeing my background and then understanding what it is that I was doing. And so he had that direct conversation with me. And when I expressed to him what happened to me coming out of the securities industry, the thing that he said that helped me to start getting past that was, I don't believe you. You did nothing. You actually folded it up and walked away. And you have nerve to be hiding when you have the Jordan Belfort of the world who are now out there making millions. But it was sort of the way he said that to me. It was like, lady, get a grip, (laughs) you know? That, the moment that that connected for me, how he was, just the way that he said it and what he made me see was a moment in time that helped me to say, Take take those blinders off, you know, get over that. The, the skill set that you have is still what's valuable and you can move forward. So I'd say to you, that was a sometimes for a reason, for a season, people, somebody will say something that resonates in a way that you never expected. But that was a turning point for me to get rid of the feelings I had about how I came off of Wall Street. And just continue to move forward in in what I do and what I know and how I can help, you know, that sort of thing. Get over yourself and get back in the game. This is a really great moment 
that you should give yourself some accolades, that mm-hmm. you should feel good about you, the lives you changed, the positive impact you made. Ms. Ferris, any final thoughts for our PFAM on staying in the game? Staying in the game is really about finding a thing in you that helps you to know it's one day at a time. Don't just pour everything on top of your head. You get up, you dust yourself off, you walk through what you need to today, you get your rest tonight, and tomorrow you have the opportunity to do it all over again. Because as long as you put one foot in front of the other, eventually the universe is going to bring to you what you need to shed all of those things that are holding you and pulling you down. I have just found that just staying the course, sometimes it is the most painful stuff you want to go through, especially when you have to look at yourself through your own mind's eye. But do the hard work, go through it one day at a time, because now on the other side, I can smile from ear to ear and say, I love what I have gone through because I wouldn't know what I know today had that not happened. Phenomenal story, Ms. Ferris. Thank you for joining us today. And please provide information for the PFAM to connect with you. Anyone can take a look at us at ibossinc.com, I-B-O-S-S-I-N-C.com. It can give you any kind of extension to link with me. Thank you. PFAM, thank you for joining in today. Today's episode confirms quitting is never the option. Instead, we must stay in the game. Allow me to leave you with 2 Chronicles 15.7. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. PFAM, please don't forget to participate in the pre-sale of my new book, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. The release is scheduled for February 14th, none other than Valentine's Day. With your purchase of the book during the pre-sale, you will get a gift valued at $150. Yes, you heard it, valued at $150. Now, Dr. D, how do I get my gift? You can get this gift by sending me an email to contact at drdcarol.com. That's C-O-N T-A-C-T at D-R-D-E-E-C-A-R-R-O-L-L dot com. Take care, PFAM, and be safe. Thank you for listening to Dialogue with Dr. D. If you enjoyed the show and would like to connect further with Dr. D, visit drdcarroll.com. And please, please don't forget to like, share, and leave us a review on iTunes. With Dr. D's guidance and support coupled with your belief and commitment, you can succeed in your moving beyond journey. Join the dialogue today and tap into the new, empowered you. Best wishes for peace, love, and continued blessings. And we'll see you here next time.
on Dialogue with Dr. D. Remember, transformation and reinvention is yours. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.